2: We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month the focus is on industrial automation. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, video, and more at mouser.com slash empowering dash innovation.
3: What's up, Internet? And welcome back to the Engadget podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar.
2: I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe.
3: This week, we are preparing for Black Friday and the holidays and gifting for the holidays. So we'll be chatting with Engadget's Commerce Editor, Valentina Palandito, about that. Our holiday gift guides are up and running now, so you can go take a look if you need any gift suggestions. We'll also be diving into Microsoft's $249 Surface Laptop, which is meant just for schools. And uh, we've got some fun stuff at the end, too. I have an interview with Professor Ethan Zuckerman about the metaverse. He is somebody who, he, he was one of the early, I believe one of the co-founders of Tripod, if you all remember Tripod. Um, but he built a metaverse in the 90s. It did not go so well for him. So we have a great discussion about what Mark Zuckerberg is trying to do and what Meta is trying to accomplish. Maybe there are some better solutions to big corporate social networking. Maybe we can talk about some organic homegrown social networking, that could be a good path for us in the future. As always, if you're enjoying the Engadget podcast, please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes and drop us an email at podcastengadget.com. If you've got any questions, we'd love to answer them on air. One big piece of news that dropped this week came from Microsoft and it was entirely devoted to education. They announced the Surface Laptop SE, a $249 computer. That's a whole computer. And unlike the other Surfaces, like the Surface Go, it comes with a keyboard and everything. It's a Surface laptop. And Windows 11 SE, which is a education-focused version of Windows, kind of a simplified version of the OS. And uh, I found this all just really fascinating, um, mainly for that headline, right? A $249 Surface laptop. And clearly what Microsoft is trying to do here is... Take on Chromebooks because Google's Chromebooks, um, you know, uh, any PCs running the Chromebook platform are known for being cheap, uh, being you know fairly stable, and um, people really like them for schools. They've kind of been dominating schools, especially for K through eight kids, and this seems like a really strong play towards that. What is your like, Shirlan? When I tell you there is a two hundred forty nine dollars Surface Laptop, what is your first thought there? Like, how? How is that possible?
2: I have so many questions for you, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, so when I first saw that headline on the website, I mean, this week I just kind of been in and out of it. I was like, oh, it's a slow week, no news, hooray. Mm -hmm. And then Windows 11 SE drops. And I was like, wait, is this? Yeah,
3: another variant. All of that.
2: Yeah, is this another Mm -hmm. variant? And then I saw the discourse on Twitter and it was like, Microsoft won't stop trying to make these light versions of Windows work. Uh, It's doomed to fail. So I don't know if that's what you think, too. I don't know what the difference between SE and regular windows 11 is or like how it's different from chrome os um which like <laughs> chrome os is super limited because it's so browser-based and everything yeah uh but
3: it's different from chrome os because it could it, it's a real computer you know it can run programs
2: it could right it things. can run exes yeah. so you're telling me it can, it run, can run exes DXEs. or okay. okay it
3: can run exes so first of all i i agree that Microsoft, whenever they start talking about a variant of Windows, yeah. it tends to not work so well for them. We've covered this, Sherlin. Windows 10 S was a thing they announced uh, around the first Surface laptop where they were like, "Uh, yeah, here's, a, uh, here's kind of a lockdown version of Windows. You can't install apps from the web. Uh, you have to pay to upgrade to Pro if you really want to do that. Let's make it really complicated for consumers because that's what people want, right? <laughs> and nobody wanted that. And they ended up turning Windows 10 S into like a mode you could flip on and off, um, which I guess is useful if you're trying to. Yeah. If you're giving a computer to somebody who's not super tech savvy and you want to kind of simplify it, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Windows 10 X was their version for dual screen devices that we also covered a couple of years ago. That thing kind of just. It seemed like delayed forever uh they later announced that windows 10x would be for single screen devices and then they announced they'll stop working on windows 10x and then they announced windows 11 so windows 10x kind of directly led us to windows 11 uh it, it's it's a whole it's a whole like thing with microsoft the thing about windows 11 SE that is kind of interesting is that it's just windows 11 it's just windows 11 with a couple things turned off there is no microsoft store um because okay. they don't want these are computers meant for kids. This is a platform meant for school kids. So there's no store for people to go and like download, download games stuff, or right. other stuff. Um, it, it is kind of simplified in certain ways too. The uh, the like edge snapping features we like so much from Windows 11, which where you can shove a window into other corners. Um, that's kind of slimmed down too. You could just put a window left or right, um, and in general, it's just made for uh, for. Less powerful hardware, certainly. Like I think they strip out a lot of the Windows services to create a more streamlined OS because that's always been the big thing about Chrome uh, Chrome OS. It's just
0: right. It's just a it's browser. A it's yeah.
3: It's a light OS. It's basically Linux and a browser, and that's it. And uh, the Surface Laptop SE for something that's two hundred forty nine dollars, uh, don't expect much hardware wise. Right. Yeah. It has an eleven point six inch display maybe a step above t- uh, 720p um, choice of two Celeron chips, either four gigabytes or eight gigabytes of RAM and uh, 64 gigabytes or 128 gigabytes of eMMC storage, which uh, that's really specific there because eMMC basically means it's the equivalent of an SD card. You know, you're not going to get like full SATA speeds on that um, really, really low powered machines. But what is interesting is like what Microsoft was able to put in here. They say the uh, the full keyboard from the Surface Laptop Go, which I reviewed last year, the full keyboard and trackpad are in this, and that is a $549 computer. That computer also had a really good keyboard, so it felt really great to type on. Uh, the Laptop SE has a 720p webcam, which looks really good. Um, and they say they also spent a like time paying attention to the microphone speakers too. I did a video chat with somebody from Microsoft who was just using... This cheap computer on Microsoft Teams. It sounded good. It sounded and looked better than um, a lot of $1,000 laptops I've tested. So there's a lot going on here. You know, this is a big plastic computer. It's meant for kids. Um, It's meant for K through it, basically. It weighs 2.45 pounds, so it's not huge. Um, I did see some discourse about both Windows 11 SE kind of being a joke. And also, Look at how underpowered this computer is. Yeah. And I'd be the first to tell you don't buy this computer if it was $400 or 500 and right, that's but basically yeah, that's basically how we've reviewed the Surface laptop or the Surface Go. The Surface Go is there like $400 starting tiny surface and uh you know that thing is underpowered for that price and you still have to add a keyboard and you still have to like to make it usable you have to spend over 500 sometimes $600. If this can actually be a two hundred forty nine dollars computer, you could just hand to a kid. It runs everything they need for school, um, or something schools could buy for all their students, rather than having like a little push cart of laptops that they bring into the classroom <laughs> and have everybody share. Um, th- this is where it's useful. I'm a firm believer in uh, inexpensive hardware, um, so I think like for kids and for schools, especially, I used to provision IT hardware. We still have to, like, look at the pricing of stuff. What kind of thing? You know, what do we want to buy? How much do students really need? And I think for a really basic um, group of kids, especially, you know, before you get to sixth grade or before you get to middle school, this is powerful enough to do, like, schoolwork, office work. Uh, I'm really into this. Any, like, any deeper thoughts, Roland, now that you know more about it?
2: Yeah, I think it's. I mean, what, two two main things, right? One, I, I kind of want to describe this for the the listeners who are not looking at a picture of it. Like this looks like a, a nicer Chromebook, kind of. It's got like chunky bezels. Of course, it's like thumb friendly. Let's be honest, like you can grip it with your thumb. Probably the way, like if you lift it, your laptop yeah. up by its lid, the way you're not supposed mm-hmm. to. Um, the bottom bezel is definitely chunkier than everywhere else. And then it's like pretty thick for uh, for a Surface laptop because Surface laptops generally look very sleek with, with mm-hmm, their mm-hmm. with their profiles, but it's otherwise, plastic, baby, yeah, yeah. This is this goes. is not meant to be like beautiful, you know, take to impress your clients. Sort of a, a machine. It's it's really there to. Just be a workhorse and yeah. and hopefully that it's price not too range. heavy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. in that price range, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty so, impressive
3: so because uh look at Acer, look at Ace's laptops at that price, right? They yeah. are ugly. They Adrian. look awful. <laughs> They're and they don't fugs. have good keyboards. Yeah. Yes. So, gonna, you know how we yeah. have
2: a chunkster, hungster onster mm-hmm. scale on this show. We're gonna, yeah. I'm gonna come up with a scale for ugliness. It's gonna <laughs> be like fugs, ugs, or g's. I will come, come up, with something yeah. that works. <laughs> uh, but, but, but Windows 11 SE. I think in general the concept. I would love to see how it works. First of all, um, yeah. I don't know if like. It's something that Microsoft is also opening up to third-party manufacturers to use and and make their own versions of on their own. I mean their own sort of Windows. Yeah, power- so they versions. are they
3: are um, Dell, okay. HP, Acer, the usual crowd will be making gotcha. their own uh, Windows 11 SE computers. I'm really interested to see like what the competition is here, right? Because yeah. we've seen. What all these companies, when they want to just throw all the tech into a computer and like tr- try to make a super premium thing, right? That's not hard these days. Yeah. It's really easy to build a nice laptop. It is really hard to build a cheap laptop that still feels right. good and is good right. for kids to use. So, it's exciting, and mm-hmm.
2: it's also smart for Microsoft to try to come for the for the kids in the classrooms because Chrome for for the last I want to say five to five years maybe has has dominated in that space. Like everyone's been making the and it. it As as an OS, it makes sense for the students at like that age range that you were talking about. So for Microsoft to want to do this, it's obvious they're kind of like nervous that if more and more kids grow up being accustomed to Chrome OS as they're like learning and then getting work done OS, they might grow up, which is what people were saying, right? They'll grow up to want to buy premium Chromebooks instead of sticking to like a Windows ecosystem, or they'll switch over to Mac. But then that's (laughs) like. They just won't
3: know Windows, right? They won't be raised right. on Windows like I was. I was raised on Windows, so I understand the intricacies right. Same, of, uh, yeah. of the file system and everything. Exactly. Uh, yeah.
0: They they if won't know directories. Re-
3: <laughs> and even right now, we've talked about professors being worried that uh, you know, their high-level computer science students do not understand file system structures. Oof. Like don't yep, understand we the that. way yeah. Windows puts files together. Um, we're already seeing kind of the the result of people – of operating systems kind of moving away from that that yeah. whole idea. And you see what yeah. a whole generation is like once they live with that. Um, I, I My thing is like I it sure took Microsoft a long to do this. And I've been talking yeah. – I've honestly been talking with the hardware teams for a while. I'm like, guys, Chromebooks are eating your lunch. What are yeah. you doing? Like the best you have is a Surface Go laptop, <laughs> which it doesn't even have a keyboard. You know, you have Don't to spend forget. another $100 to get a keyboard. And I'm like, guys –
2: yeah. Let's uh. Well, yeah. Don't forget mm-hmm. the stream PCs too. By the way, HP Stream. Oh like when my I feel Microsoft had a hand in that too. I think that it was like not only HP that did their their like lightweight. Chrome it was basically version of HP. It was basically it was, HP. It was pretty much yeah. just HP. I think mm-hmm. I I need to double check, but I remember like people mm-hmm. have tried to make the sub five hundred dollars Windows laptops. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
3: I mean, while. listen. I I have a story that I linked at the beginning of this article, uh, from twenty eighteen. And <laughs> headlines, Microsoft unveils cheap laptops and more tools for education. And even back then, they were pushing like sub-$200 laptops, but they were really bad. Like they weren't – you would not wish this on your student. You know, you wouldn't wish this on your worst enemy. Whereas I think creating a Surface laptop with a good keyboard and everything and a good trackpad too, like something that's not, not going to infuriate you to use, is a, is an accomplishment We'll wait. We'll see what happens with this. Um, a lot of people have been asking me, like, where can I get one of these? And the the answer is you can't. You cannot get one. You can only only um, people who are education buyers who buy equipment for schools um, mm. can can order these. So Microsoft isn't making it available to consumers, and it's not even making it available to, to commercial buyers, which is um, kind of where sometimes people would find other hardware. Like you get – you could get certain surfaces with more RAM if you went through CDW or somewhere where where companies would buy their computers. Um, that's not happening here, but I think they are going to be paying attention to like how popular it is. And if there is a demand for it, certainly next year, maybe they could create something at this price range or maybe 300 maybe a little more. Um, that's more for regular consumers. So yeah, really interesting move here by Microsoft.
2: Can't wait to see what happens next year.
3: <laughs> I've also had the question and is this too late for Microsoft to even go down this road? And I don't think so. I, I think like, sure. It, it is a little too late probably, but it doesn't mean like they should give up entirely and just see the entire, that entire world to Google because Chromebooks aren't that great. Like they're cheap laptops that run a web browser. That's it. And that is yeah. something these, you know, there's limits. Can do. Yeah. 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 And if you want to run office software and you want to like teach kids things that they could use in college too, like, how to, how to create a PowerPoint presentation or something like something a little more professional than just making a web doc. Um, I, I mean, feel like, okay, that's, that's a big thing. Let's not forget yeah.
2: there's a PowerPoint version of Google. I just want to point out because people are going to, people are going to s- remind you. I, I understand
3: you, right? that. When last yeah. have you sat through a Google <laughs> slides presentation? <laughs> or made I something in Google Slides. It's not great.
2: I will say, I will say mm-hmm. I think I have sat through many Google Slides presentations if not well at Google for exactly, like people. I take so many Google presen- like briefings. Yeah. But in terms um, of
3: like something a little I haven't more tried dynamic. To my own. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something a little more dynamic like PowerPoint is still
2: Yeah. still the hot thing.
3: I think uh, and they even announced like um last week we talked about some features coming to Office, right? Like uh, yeah. being able to dictate your PowerPoint presentation. Um so kind of you could make your own self-contained thing yeah
2: i i mean well we're on the topic sort of and we have a little time to make like have a fun little tangent davindra what's your like deep cut old school uh memory of your cheesiest powerpoint presentation you ever did like for like or, or with the like most complicated feature that google docs could never do but like you did it on microsoft and it was good for me i remember it was like just trying to get like embedding mpegs or whatever in there and having them autoplay when the slide shows up or something and like making things fly across the page <laughs> making things and like fly
3: across the screen oh in sync God. with the music and stuff yeah. like probably one of those things like honestly what i did more um as a kid and as a, as an elementary and middle school kid was mm. try to make websites more than try to make yes. uh PowerPoint presentation presentations, slides, yeah. But by the time I got to college, I was like, "Oh man, I wish I knew more of how PowerPoint worked because I would have to present things in front of the class, um, really? so that sort of thing." Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it depends back, on the schools.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That, sorry, back in my day, I would hit like I would. Put the image of a play button and then right click properties at URL or like action and then be like, oh, uh, add the action to play whichever impact uh, that I had also attached to the document somewhere. It was just like that, that, that's how old PowerPoint was when I was that's using how old-
3: it. Oh man. oh, man. It was, uh, listen, it was even that was not great. And uh, oh, I know. I'm not saying kids have to learn this stuff, but it is, it is good as you're preparing to be like in a professional environment, it's good to know how word work. It's good to have like, um, Excel experience, uh, more than what the Google cloud offerings do. But, uh, you know what? We will, we will see how all this goes by next year. At this point, Microsoft could give up on this idea entirely. I hope not. I hope they stick with this one. So it's that time of the year, everybody, where we're scrambling to figure out gifts and, uh, I don't know, also trying to get some good deals for ourselves. So Mm. joining us to talk about what is hot this year is Valentina Palladino, our comics editor at Engadget. Uh, Valentina, how's it going?
0: Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure to see you.
3: No problem. I feel like this is always the biggest project for you every year, so I hope you're you're surviving. We see a lot of boxes behind you, (laughs) neatly organized, unlike my office, so (laughs) yeah, nice.
0: Yeah, no, it is a very busy time of the year, holiday gift guide, but also, like you said, Dev deal stuff. Um, deals. So, yeah, but we're, we're, we're hanging in there. Um, our holiday gift guide, like, almost all of the stories are up now, so, yeah, people can go enjoy them and hopefully find some good gift ideas for either themselves or other people on their wish lists, and gift lists, excuse me. What,
2: what, what one or two, like, gift guides would you, like, recommend people go check out? for like
3: I mean all well, of them, Sherlin. What do you say, Yes,
2: yeah.
0: all of them. But <laughs> for all this Well, I mean, this year, I mean, we have a lot this year. So mm-hmm. we have 22 stories this oh, year man. with Ooh. like over 200 product recommendations. There's a lot to sift through. Um so what I would say is that, you know, this is the time. This is the chance for us at Engadget to kind of recap all of our favorite tech gadgets and the ones mm-hmm. that we would actually recommend people go buy. So we Absolutely. obviously have, yes. you know, mm-hmm. uh the our recommendations for things like laptops and tablets and earbuds and all of the bread and butter stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is also our opportunity to kind of put a little bit of a more personal spin on some things, like maybe cover some stuff that we don't always cover at and gadget, yes. at least not with the same uh vigor as we usually do. So, you know, we have a lot of guides that are more personal. And those are some of my favorites because you kind of really can see our staffers' uh personalities come through when they're talking about things that they've actually bought for themselves or bought For loved ones, or in uh, some cases, buff for their pets. Uh, We do have a uh, best pet gadgets guide this year, which is really fun. Um, (laughs) And things like gifts for coffee lovers, gifts for people who love with winter sports like snowboarding and skiing um, and also things like tech toys for kids you know like stuff that we don't get to cover all of the time um, but does still fall under our purview or just things that we really love ourselves so um, yeah I mean that's kind of a long winded answer to say like go check out the whole thing <laughs> go, but, go check uh, out the whole
3: thing hey, yeah. <laughs> you know what this year I was very happy I was able to recommend things like I feel like we don't normally get to include so like we yes. did a special guide uh, about treating your with home theater, yeah, I love gift. that so one.
2: Yeah, that is where yes. I was able
3: to fit in. Like, hey, take a look at these Monoprice Monolith THX Atmos home theater speakers because <laughs> I several years ago I went on like you know I was like I, I need some. Daddy needs some good speakers. I need some, like, speakers <laughs> that will last me a while. Um, so I picked up, like, these Pioneer Elites uh, designed by Andrew Jones, who's, like, a rock star mm. in the speaker world. Um, and they're super cool. They sound incredible. They will last me forever. So looking at it this year, it's actually a lot easier for somebody to get something like the, the mono prices because they they just bring all the tech and the Atmos drivers um, right, there, right there for you. And the whole thing mm. costs, like, $2,000. But – If we're talking about treating yourselves, treat yourself, and I also I threw in the Valencia theater seats that uh, Mm -hmm. I picked up as I'm like slowly specking out a home theater. It is so nice to have Mm -hmm. like theater seats uh, in your house. Yeah, yeah. And getting through those is about the cost of a of a couch, so it's Mm -hmm. not like impossible. You know. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's one of my favorites too, Dev. Um, I, I love the fact that we were able to do kind of like different spin on it where it's more of a treat yourself guide. Mm-hmm, like you said, mm-hmm. it's like things that we recommend our readers like think about splurging on for themselves if they're mm-hmm. able to. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have like a ton of great guides and great recommendations, even things like board games. And also like, yes. I, should, I should say that, you know, we do like try to put an effort into making sure that there's something for everyone not just in terms of product like types right Yeah. Um, but also in terms of price so yes. we have you know our stocking stuffers guide which is full of like small gadgets that are $50 or less mm-hmm. um, so that should help some people who want to like buy something for a tech savvy person in their life but maybe only have a certain amount of money to spend um, and we will have also a roundup of everything in our gift guide that comes in under $100 soon mm-hmm. um, so cool, there's that cool, too cool. you know um so there's really something for everybody Mm -hmm. in terms of type of product but also budget too
3: i I think more just real quick just want to say like more than any year it seems like we we also need to think about like buying our stuff now right this is probably not the year to wait until december or the week before christmas uh, or the week of christmas as i have done in some years uh to order stuff because um what the supply chain is entirely messed up uh or like Actual products are not getting to shipping warehouses, so which means it's going to take it longer for it to get to you. Like, have you noticed any of this, like uh, Valentina, as you've been exploring these deals?
0: Yes, definitely. That is absolutely a huge problem. Um, I mean, we've been, so we've been seeing holiday deals, quote unquote, since the beginning of October, it gets earlier and earlier every year, despite how much people might hate it. (laughs) Um, but even since then, I mean, there have been shipping delays and things that used to be able to arrive to you within two days are taking a week, maybe two weeks, sometimes even more. I mean, I know on staff, we were talking about things that we were buying, um, now that maybe wouldn't arrive for a month out, you know? So it's it's rough yeah. out there. So I would definitely say that now, like if you haven't started buying anything yet, I think that's fine. You know, now is the time to really start looking if you haven't started looking but yet. But do, do it but soon. It, yeah. Do it soon. But I, I was also going to say, like if you do, also don't have a list yet of what you need, like that you should absolutely do start um, list, as soon yeah. as possible. Because then it like, at least gives you a starting point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you know what you're looking for and you're not just kind of wandering the interwebs being bombarded <laughs> with deals and, also, um, and getting overwhelmed. <laughs> For me, I
2: might I might think about more this year, going like in-person shopping. I think that has been the more easy way for me to get my stuff. Even if because like carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I personally haven't really noticed a lot of de- delays. In in my own shopping, there have been like supply issues like this. Uh, Valentina you'll know this uh, our friend has a baby and I bought them like a little mm-hmm. winter hat and Aww. the the little bob thing was was like back ordered forever so they couldn't even wow. make the hats but anyway mm-hmm. um so that that took like 2 months for me to finally get it and by which point the baby was born so like yeah. I'm trying to get into the shower. Maybe <laughs> like here but perfect timing. Um mm-hmm. no, but but the other thing I wanted to say uh, before we got into the supply chain stuff is that like the holiday gift guide really quickly is like the Ventura and Valentina have been saying this one time I get to like talk about fun gadgets that I don't always get to write a lot about and I've also contributed a few. One of my favorites uh, like you said uh, Valentina is your stocking stuffers guide because Oftentimes, too, is these smaller pieces of tech that turn out to be the most useful, like Mm -hmm. a tile almost always makes it into that. And I see on the screen we have like a Chromecast or some Tamagotchis, I think. I yeah, and who air doesn't tags. want a Tamagotchi? Yeah, or yeah air that's, tags. Yeah. A lot
0: of the air tag. I mean, a lot of the Tamagotchi stuff came from me because that was something <laughs> oh, okay. that I I wanted so bad when I was <laughs> yes. a kid. I did end up. I definitely had one Tamagotchi eventually, but yes. it was it was a big subject in my yeah. household when I was what like seven yes. or eight years old.
2: So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So anyway, yeah, uh you're As you're considering what to buy for the people in your life or on your list, like, I think that's a good place to get inspired. Um, But back to, like, when you're shopping Black Friday deals, you're saying people need to get a list, you're saying people need to, like, prep because there's going to be supply chain issues. Do you have any other, like, tips for ahead of Black Friday this year particularly?
0: sure so i mean the number one thing i can say is really make a list and know what you want to buy ahead of time so use things like our holiday gift guide and other like forms of inspiration to figure out what you want to buy for each person um because you don't want to end up spending money on things that maybe like you don't need or somebody else doesn't need or you know all that kind of stuff so um and then only to have the some of those things maybe not arrive on time right so make a list um but then i would also say like keep on keep a lookout for for deals and in go, going back to that whole list thing, um, if you do make a list and you kind of follow those things at the mm. retailers that you're, you're going to buy, you usually can tell when things are on sale. So like. Mm. Let's say you're going to shop on Amazon. You know you can put things on your wish list, and you will actually see when you go back on your wish list if something has dropped in price since you added it to your wish list. Um, so that's like an easy way for you to like keep track of everything in one place um, without like you know going to different web pages all the time, just like making yourself crazy. Um, Another thing that I would say um, is, you know, I know this might this might be a controversial uh, opinion, but (laughs) I think that it now is the time to also sign up for brands and retailers newsletters, Mm, Um, because from what I've been seeing, uh, at least just in my personal life, that, you know, a lot of brands and retailers will send out newsletters and they'll kind of give newsletter subscribers early access to deals, you know, a couple of hours ahead of when the general public gets to access it or even like exclusive coupons codes things like that so um i know that uh our inboxes are full of garbage um <laughs> make but a separate email account
3: like that that was that always true? the yes. thing yeah yeah yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah you can make a separate email account or just kind of deal with it for a month or two and then Filter you know, make a yeah. reminder yeah on mm-hmm. your phone or something to like Go in after the holidays and unsubscribe from everything if you really hate it, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, anything that you can do that will help you either save some money or mm-hmm. also get access to things early or both in the mm-hmm. same process. Um, that would be those would be the things I say for yeah. like biggest tips.
3: Also, want to shout out, like, hey, folks, digital gifts. Digital gifts are getting better oh, than yes. ever. Especially kids in your lives who uh who like to play games and Xbox uh game pass ultimate like gift subscription is always a good deal and they can stack and that gives people access to if they already have a console gives them access to games but also gives them access to cloud streaming so they don't even need a console to play like forza forza horizon 5 or something like if they have a computer um or a tablet and a you know, controller nearby, they can play these games. So yeah. Look at digital gifts. Um
2: last word on digital gifts. It's also good yep. for last minute gifting and yep. long Definitely. distance gifting. So long if you're
3: not to next to someone, yeah. yeah.
0: It's it's those are great gifts. That's the best yeah. way to and avoid
3: y- like the supply chain crunch, but yeah.
0: And you can find a lot of those things. There'll be a lot of promotions for those types of things, too, like services and stuff like that. So things like, you know, learning services or like apps that have a like a subscription required, um, meditation services, like stuff like that. Um, I'm almost positive that we're going to see at least some Black Friday sales coming Very up cool. yeah. for those types of things. So
3: also gift cards for local businesses, too. So it's like if you know where yeah. somebody lives and you can give them a spa day or something like that. That's always good. I want to throw out a tip of mine. Um, are you guys familiar with the shop app? I the shop? Just it sounds just The shop. It is probably the only app I found that does a good job of like all the stuff you've ordered. It just keeps track of it. So you can link oh, in wow. your Amazon account. You can link in like if you buy stuff from random places on the Internet, um, you could track all those things all at once, see their tracking numbers. And it does a lot of it automatically, too, because it looks through your email account or you give it access to certain other accounts. Um, I found that to be super useful because I buy a lot of gifts for people sometimes uh, or I just have a lot of orders incoming and I don't know where things are. I don't know how to track like mm-hmm. what happened to this thing I ordered two weeks ago. I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's been a really useful thing for keeping track of everything and just for your daily lives. Um, maybe consider the shop app. Uh, this is not a promoted uh, section. <laughs> I'm just saying I really like it. Uh, but hey, if you, if you do like our suggestions here, uh, maybe click through our links because that is actually the way we know yeah. these guides are useful to people. Yes. If you're buying stuff, please click through the links. Um, it's always super, super helpful.
2: Yeah, if you found something through the Engadget Gift Guide, if you click through the Engadget Gift Guide link, uh, that's how we make our money. So <laughs> if you, if you how to we stick want to support around. us, mm-hmm. that's that's a nice way to support that's that's a nice support the publication. People. I have I have 3
3: cats. I have to buy so much cat food. It's uh, it's crazy. Uh, before we we wind down, I just want to say like Valentina, like you're looking at all the deals. You're looking at things that are always like, you know, the deals are incoming. You know like when a good price hits, uh mm-hmm. anything is there anything like you think people should be really keeping an eye on like i feel like we've seen so many airpods pro deals uh oh, yeah especially yeah. after the beats fit pro came out so like that one now's a perfect time to get the airpods pro or the beats fit pro uh check out billy's review from a couple weeks ago i actually just picked those up and they sound incredible like oh, wow. great wow. noise canceling great sound quality so oh shit um yeah, keep an eye out for new stuff. But also, if you've been waiting the AirPods Pro, we have put up so many deal posts around those things. So many, um, yeah, so
0: many. I mean, AirPods like they constantly just oscillate from being on sale to not being on sale. Yep. So, yep. but now is the time where you're really going to see that. I mean. The two times of the year where especially things like AirPods and even other types of wireless earbuds, um, you know, go on sale the most are around Black Friday and Cyber Monday um, and also around Amazon Prime Day. Um, So that was in June this year. So that has come and gone, obviously. Um, But yeah, now is the time where if you're going to see it at the best price ever, it's going to happen sometime soon, most likely. Um, So, yeah, I would say look out for things like that, like big ticket items are always the important stuff to look for around Black Friday. That's why we kind of encourage people to. Look for things for people on your wish on your gift list, right? But also look for yourself, too, if there's something that you've, you know, had on your own wish list for a while. So, you know, expensive headphones, even TVs, sound bars, um, those kind of big ticket items that can be hard to kind of judge when they go on sale throughout the rest of the time of the year. Yeah. Now is the time where almost certainly you will see some sort of discount and it will... Yeah probably be better than what you saw maybe a month ago or two months ago like
3: smart home assistance like the google home stuff too if you want you want a little screen for your kitchen like now is going to be the time to look out for deals on those things yeah
2: i i had a question valentina for you which is like and I may, might have asked this before in last year's episode, we were talking about this exact same issue, which is, Do I will retailer, like big box retailer or whatever retailer, third-party type people, um, would their deals generally be better than first-party manufacturers or is there any difference at all?
0: So it can vary. Um, mm-hmm. It really depends on the brand and the retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because especially with, like one thing that I would usually say, one type of product that I would say people should actually go directly to the companies for are laptops, because laptops, you know, there's so many configurations that you can yep. get, right? Yep. Is that people like, not people, but like corporations and retailers like Amazon and Best yeah. Buy, they tend to have just like pre-config models, yeah. right? So it's like you have to deal with the model that they have actually in stock. But if you were to go to uh, directly to the company, so like your Dells, your Razors, your HP, you know, that kind of stuff, um, they will, you'll be able to spec things out. And, you know, maybe they don't have exactly the same D- as, as you saw on a pre-configuration laptop at Amazon mm-hmm. or Best Buy, but they will have their own Black Friday sales, you know, if they mm-hmm. don't already have them um, for, mm-hmm. you know, before the actual day. So the answer is it can vary. Um, so it's always good to kind of check uh, the brand's website and then also the retailer where you are thinking of buying something you know right. what i mean because at least that's only two places to check um if you're lucky they will be matching you know um and then you can kind of decide where you want to spend your money um and then see if you also have like digital coupons or like a gift card or something like use all those things to your advantage and get the things where you can get the best deal you know mm-hmm. gotcha
3: also slick deals is still a good source too like if you're yes looking for something specific and we have not covered it like I, I, I set up slick deal alerts all the time. I still do. They work really well. Um, stuff like that. Just uh, stick with the old school stuff, folks. Uh, anything else we want to add, Valentina?
0: No, I think we covered everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, holiday Gift we got guide more coming ton- too, right? Uh, yeah, like <laughs> we got more coming. Um, all of the stories will be up by the end of the week, so keep an eye out for the rest of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm really proud of our of our holiday gift guide. I think it's really great this year, um, as it usually is, but especially with all of the personal touches we were able to give it this year. Everybody worked really hard on it, um, so hopefully that is useful to all of our readers and <laughs> listeners. Hopefully you get some sort of gift inspiration out of that. Um, And yeah, we'll be covering Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals at Engadget as we usually do. So um, we try our best to kind of filter out the products that are actually worth your money and that are on sale. So it's Mm -hmm. like not just like... A dump of everything you know we are filtering things out so um if you are interested in you know getting the best deal and looking for the best deal on something that you really care about in the consumer electronics space um definitely follow at engadget deals at twitter um but then follow along at our website we'll have everything up um the days of and leading up to it as we have been so very cool
3: do we have like a deals tip line i feel like people would love to throw us stuff yeah
0: i don't think Should so they not just tweet yet you? but that's just, a good idea yeah yeah, they could either mention like at Engadget Deals or me, you know, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. because What is your Twitter um, account again? At Valentina Lucia. That's my personal right. Twitter account. Um, so, yeah, uh, if you see any good deals, definitely throw them <laughs> my way. I'm always I'm always on the lookout for a good deal, whether it's, you know, for Engadget or not. I am. <laughs> so you're so perfect for this job. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs>
3: It is, especially oh, this time of year. Uh, yeah, good yes. luck, everybody, getting the gifts you need for the people that you yes, love. Yes, good and luck. Yeah. Hopefully you're not <laughs> overpaying yeah. or hopefully everything arrives on time, too. It is, mm-hmm. is going to be an interesting season. For sure. We'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, Mouser Electronics. Not only does Mouser stock the world's widest selection of semiconductors and electronic components, they also offer an original content series called Empowering Innovation Together. EIT takes a deep dive into the hottest tech trends, and this month, the focus is on industrial automation. Check out podcasts, articles, infographics, videos, and more at mouser.com empowering dash innovation. Let's move on to some other news. And uh, Charlene, I know you want to talk about some stuff from yes. Google. You wrote a project yes. late. What is that?
2: So I this week on Tuesday, I believe Google announced that it's made an app called Project... Well, made an app that's tentatively, I think, called Project Relate. I don't think that's going to be the final name when it's out of um, beta mode. Um, and basically, it's an app for people uh, with speech impairments to communicate more easily with other people, as well as the Google Assistant Um, so I was watching the video and reading all the like material around this and rightly like for far too long, right? Google points out that like voice recognition and speech recognition algorithms don't serve people with speech impediments well at all, like be it whether it's something like, you know, you have a slight lisp or you have like just a different way of pronouncing all the way through to someone who might suffer from something more serious like a stroke, a cerebral palsy or, or muscular dystrophy, um, who have even like a harder time with um, typical speech. So what Google is acknowledging, I think step one, Google has acknowledged that that's a problem. Step two is trying to solve that problem. And I think that Project Relate is part of step two. So basically mm-hmm. it's an Android app. Um, and it's currently in beta mode. And what it does is create a custom voice model for every individual user that uses it. So when you pick it up in and, and you launch it the first time, it'll ask you to repeat a few phrases that it uses then to kind of understand how you pronounce certain words, certain, you know, how do you, how do you say things, right? And then it, it, it uses that info to create this custom voice model for you. And then once it's done... It has three main functions. One is listen, where it'll just, um, you can say what you're trying to get across, and then it will, you know, transcribe it and have it display on screen. You can use that and show it to people um, around you, or you can uh, copy and paste it into a document or or, or so on. And then second function is uh, speak. Speak. I can't remember the actual name for it, but basically it reads out in a synthesized voice what you're saying. So for people who can't see what you're saying on the screen or if you get into a cab or something and you want to say the address of where you're going and the driver can't turn around and look at your phone screen or something, you can have Speak read it out for you. And -hmm. then the last thing is with the Google Assistant where you can communicate directly with the Google assistant through the app, Um, which I think like so far it's a simple app, right? It just does those three things, but it already opens just like opens the door a little bit better, right? For, for people with, for whom like voice assistants have always failed. it, It really like is the beginning of something for them. And I like was very heartened to see. I was just like, this is great. Like, I don't know how well it works yet, but Google's actually worked with people who suffer from, yeah, muscular dystrophies or cerebral palsy, um, to 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 get their algorithms to a place where it seems like it works, right? According to the video, it seemed to be it seemed to be working well. Um right now is inviting people to beta test this. So if you are um, if you're someone with atypical speech and you want to see how this will work, you can reach out to Google on, uh, I think it's g.co slash project relate. Um, but also it's only going to start testing these in the next few months. Like it's going to take a while for this app to actually come out for the masses. Um, and by, and, and not that everyone's going to need this, but, I would love to see Google integrate some of this stuff it learns eventually into the main speech recognition algorithms so I, that I it doesn't that have would, to be like that.
3: A, yeah, that's probably part of it too. Like this, right. whenever they beta test stuff, they're like, yes. give me more data for my algorithms. And this one, <laughs> it's going to be useful for some people, yes. but also people who may have undiagnosed speech issues, right? Or who don't realize yeah. they may have a little stutter. It could help, yeah, for, for everyone. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and not to say that Google is the first mm-hmm. company ever to do this. like I th- one thing I've noticed uh, for a while now ever since I started doing like deeper research into accessibility in tech is voice recognition for anyone with like just even the slightest imperfect, Uh, speech, right? It's difficult. And uh, there's this company called Voice It, which is Voice ITT, that has teamed up with the likes of Amazon, um, and I think Apple or Google is one of their other partners, to just make their assistants work better with people who have slightly atable speech. So like not very severe issues, uh, so something closer to more like a lisp or or a shorter tongue or something like that. Um, But... Yeah, this is this is just nice to see another company step up to do. I think Google also has like great voice recognition algorithms in general, um, at least when it's not, I don't know, inserting random periods into my sentences. Um yeah, but yeah, it's nice yeah. to see Google put some of its processing power into something like this. this, this seems like a meaningful mm-hmm. application I think
3: it's good to see it's good to see like between yeah. this and also we've covered some of the Microsoft hardware too that they're bringing yeah. to gamers like different types of controllers and stuff so it's cool that these companies can finally think about people with very different use cases. I, I know
2: yeah. I'm mm-hmm. I'm grateful to see but we still again we can't stress enough there's still a long way to go. We know that yeah. tech still continues to fail <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, but if you have any, like, I mean, if anyone listening or, or watching is, you know, has any experience with something like that at all, I welcome all of your uh, tips, stories, ex- ex- et cetera. Sure. You can send them to mm-hmm. a podcast at engadget.com. it will be great to to learn more.
3: Very cool. Tell us about um, Peloton's smart camera, Shulin, because I feel like <laughs> you were really into this news. It looks uh. like Peloton just made a, a connect. A Microsoft Connect. Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. When I got the um, press release for this, it was like, oh, Peloton strength training device. I was like, well, mm-hmm. do they make like smart dumbbells? Do they make like, what's going on here? Nah, they made a, they made a, they should have made a Connect. Yeah. So it's just a camera.
3: <laughs> and it does track it's- your movement. So like a Connect. <laughs>
2: Yeah, which like, okay, so one of mm-hmm. the things, and this is a very, it's a it's an issue that a lot of companies have tried to tackle because I've been following this space a little bit recently. When you're working out, uh, especially with th- something like strength workouts where it's like re- re- repetition is key, right? It's very repetitive. Your form is so important. It's like if you get the form wrong and you're constantly repeating it, you can just cause yourself injury. That's it. Um, so what... lot of companies uh have done and i'm blanking on their names offhand but i've spoken to a few of their like founder type people um is try to use cameras to detect your form and and use ai to then like you know make Mm -hmm. sure you're going uh correctly and uh i i always thought that was like a nifty idea and then we also saw samsung do something similar with some of the smart tvs at ces uh, 2021 which is this Mm -hmm. year oh my Mm -hmm. gosh yeah, Dad. I believe <laughs> where like with uh, any webcam attached to one of its like Samsung QLED TVs, it can watch you do squats, it can watch you do lunges and whatnot as you and and count your reps for you as you repeat them alongside the on-screen coach and that sort of thing. Um, so for this. Thing, which is the Peloton guide, it's it's somewhat similar to those. You, you have uh, something called a self mode where as you're working out, you can match your form against the instructors in real time. Um, and then you can, I mean, I guess you can also like sort of see um, yourself on screen as you as you work out so like you don't really have a mirror you're working out in front of that's handy which I personally find pretty useful um the, it also has like a voice activation mode to make following a workout like easier from a distance that sort of thing basically if you've ever tried to work out with a coach a uh, virtual sort of workout from home on your tv it sounds like the peloton guide will make it a little bit easier but I think obviously the um the big the big takeaway here is that whole like form uh observation thing where and then it ties into like peloton's scores and scores of workout videos so i i think it's intriguing it will cost four (laughs) hundred and ninety five dollars in the u.s which makes it it still has the the cheapest peloton yeah the cheapest peloton device to date so you know well i feel like man Peloton must be, like, the Apple of the fitness community because, like, they just charge super high prices for everything. And that's, like, the premium. It's Uh, a premium,
3: and everybody is into it. And uh, even the devices where you pay for life and you pay for... Is there a subscription tied to this, too? Because that's the the killer with all
2: their devices. Yeah. The Peloton Guide membership will cost you $13 a month. But I forgot to... I I didn't get around to mentioning um, the $495... Price tag includes a heart rate band, the the latest one, as well as a remote, so you don't have to use your voice if you don't want to or you can't. And then there's, you know, in case you the heart rate band, in case you don't have a, a, a smartwatch on you, and you know, the Peloton heart rate band obviously has its own tie-ins uh, to its system. But yeah, so altogether, adding in that thirteen U.S. dollar um, a month fee with this five hundred dollar thing, it's just not going to be cheap definitely not
3: it's a it's a peloton yeah. people like it's yeah. they're gonna go premium they're gonna go hardcore uh let's let's talk about something that doesn't cost five hundred dollars let's talk about <laughs> the three dollar twitter blue subscription which is the kind oh, of like man. premium service they they've been offering <laughs> to pro power users <sighs> uh like us the people who are online too much you pay three bucks a month and you get some cool special features such as the ability to uh
2: undo a tweet
3: undo a tweet that's not edit a tweet. That is not ex- undo a tweet <laughs> before yeah. it publishes, and that is we've talked about this so many times on the show. Ooh. That is the only way Twitter could ever do um, you know tweet editing because you yeah. cannot have cannot have people going back and editing live tweets, especially when Twitter has become such like a a record of everything yeah. that's happening. Um, but I've been yeah, I immediately subscribed to Twitter Blue. I am on this damn service enough. You did
2: like, damn. I okay. need.
3: I need undo. I need undo. Really? Um, yeah. It is a nice thing to have. I often like you have to deal with typos. and I just live with it. I don't if I put out a tweet and it has a typo or something, I do not have the energy to delete that tweet and fix it sometimes and just like I deal know. with it. Um, but there are other features That's here, true. too. You have yes. um, longer of video uploads now. It goes up to 10 mm. minutes uh, instead of two minutes. You can pin conversations to the top of your DMs. Um, one feature mm. I really like is this integrated thread mode. So if you're reading a very long thread, which I tend to encounter late at night,
2: yeah, yeah.
3: It, <laughs> it does this view where it's like, um, like a reader you're just seeing view. the text, like just a reader mm. view. And there have been third-party services that do this, but you have to like say uh, uh, to unroll me. You have to throw a tweet to ah, unroll yes, me and yes, then wait for yes. it to like do something. So there are little things like that. Um, you can yeah. browse new sites without ads. That I don't care about. My only thing is like, if I'm paying for Twitter, and I, I would I would pay more for Twitter, take away Twitter ads. Just make those yeah. promoted tweets, make all those things go away. I would love to pay for an oh, ad free Twitter experience. Um, but I also know a lot of people are like, "Why the hell should I be paying Twitter for features that everybody should have?" Like, are you more on that line hey. of things, Sterling?
2: I mean, I I saw it in my uh, app the after it was announced, and I was like, "Should mm-hmm. I?" Like, it's three dollars a month. It doesn't like I don't think too much about it. But yeah. but. At the same time, I'm like, they also did a bad job selling it within the app, right? Because I didn't mm-hmm. know about this um, video upload um, extended limit thing or um, some of the other stuff that you mentioned just now. They only really told me about the undo button, the uh, reader mode, and the ad free news articles. And I was like, huh? $3 a month for just this? Nah, I don't yeah. know. I'm good. Yep. So it doesn't feel like enough. For me, it doesn't feel like enough. I feel like Twitter has been trying to build these premium features for a while, like spaces mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's, it's I think, kind of a, a dicey situation for them, right? Like what features do they choose to put under the premium package and what do they make free? And and would it be too exclusive if they left, you know, if they well, made there spaces were, a pro feature? There features? are
3: some, like they, they have been doing like ticketed spaces, right? So you yes. can like pay to attend somebody's right. Twitter space. And
2: that's I don't know. I've that's never more done based that. on yeah, that's mm-hmm. more based on like, yeah, each person, each individual they deem good enough, right? Like it's the mm-hmm. number of followers thing or it's like a verified thing, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um so that's like a whole other sort of situation. I almost they're, feel like this during- is more like
3: mm-hmm tipping do you have you seen yeah the i saw that yeah. so if you if you have enough you can add uh you know a little tip box to your yeah. to your twitter account yeah uh those are all things that higher level um people basically people yes. who have a lot of subscribers and engagement yeah. um can, can access uh it makes sense for twitter to experiment with that yeah. because i think a lot of us are also being like how do you make money you know how do you make money without flooding right. our feeds with bad ads and yeah. how do you you know? for people who rely on Twitter as a like as a professional news source need or, yeah. as a news source like I rely on Twitter for a lot of things I don't mind paying a few bucks to have a slightly better experience and notably they also said um, some features from Twitter blue which is what yeah. this whole thing is called yep. will eventually make their way to like regular twitter users so it's so almost like pay? you're paying to like <laughs> beta test uh, yeah. some new features and they may just give up on some entirely if they implement something it just works really yeah. badly. So it could be kind of a way to test out new features. Yeah. Um I feel like if they pushed it to $5 or something people would complain more. So $3 uh, is sure. like yeah. it's fine. It's nothing. Yeah. It's not, it's not a huge deal. But I would pay $5 to $10 yeah. to get rid of Twitter ads. Just get rid Man. of Twitter ads completely, you know. Yeah. And promoted I, tweets.
2: Yeah. I think partly they they I think they make more money from Twitter ads than oh, it makes sense to absolutely. yeah exactly right to to like yeah. offer you an ad free experience and my other thing was I don't want to see a fuck oh, sorry a freaking <laughs> promoted tweet or like I I want to stop seeing like oh tweets that are not from people that I don't follow that sort of thing yep. but the whole yep. reason yep. they do that is to keep you you know sucked into the feed so
3: keep you sucked I, in and also give people reasons to pay money to promote their tweets too. Like I keep seeing that from like really low level thinkers, (laughs) like uh, influencers who are trying to like uh, really engage in the online conversation. Yeah. Yeah. To boost their own little tweets. And I'm like, that's adorable. It's also really annoying because I don't don't care what you have to say. I know.
2: Yeah, I'll say overall, look, I, I like the idea. I think $3 is a good price. I think that if Twitter came up with some cool features that, I would pay to try out. Yes, that would be sure. I would pay, but then I, right now it doesn't seem like that's there's enough for me. Yeah.
3: You also get more customization too, so you can add more icons to the bottom of your thing. Wow! For the three people that visit I have an my icon page. for bookmarks. Now it's actually really <laughs> oh, okay. nice to be able to go hit my bookmarks immediately. Um, the yeah. other thing is like if I'm paying, like let me pay Twitter to like do more with tweet that because I feel like they bought Tweetdeck and they don't they never update it. It doesn't have mm-hmm. all the features that main that the main Twitter website has. So if Twitter Blue got me a better Tweetdeck too so I could be more more connected yeah. to Twitter. Um yeah. I guess that could be good. But you know what folks, let us know what you think. podcastinggadget.com. Would you pay $3 to have a better Twitter? Blue. Sherlyn, you also want to talk about this uh this major change Apple has made around their yeah. like screen replacement policy on the iPhone 13. What's going on there?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, just really quick, it's just a quick update on this story, mm-hmm. which is that a while ago we learned that uh, from iFixit that if you replace the screen uh, of an iPhone 13, uh, the Face ID uh, feature would stop working. Basically, I mean, Face ID is when you like... The only biometric means of logging into your yep. phone if you're an iPhone 13 user. Um, so that pretty much sucks, right? It, I think it, it messes with the idea of right to repair a little bit too, right? If you if you took your phone to somewhere that's not a Google... Uh, sorry, not an Apple uh, retailer to fix your screen. And sometimes they're tr- cheaper, by the way. Um, then, like, unless they transfer the microcontroller from the original screen, this Face ID, uh, face ID will stop working. So... What uh, Apple did this week was announce that they're going to change that policy um mm-hmm. and make it a bit easier uh, with an upcoming software upgrades uh, update. So it will function even without this microcontroller uh, switching yeah. over to the new screen. So okay, can't nothing
3: can... nothing would be <laughs> wrong with the face ID controller if you replace the screen. It's just, hey, you are not compatible with what I was assigned with at yeah. the factory, Therefore, I will stop working um. Yeah. That's probably if, a security thing, too. Like yeah. any any biometric feature is tied to other secure elements. If anything gets yeah. changed in the hardware, they're like, you're a hacker trying right. to hack this device. So I'm right. going to stop you. Yeah.
2: So, like, grand scheme, it's not like the biggest news, but I mm-hmm. think it, it does have like um, it is Apple recognizing that like, no, yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. really play nice with right to rep- repair um, sort of policies if it does that. And sure. it was, I think, mm-hmm. a significant update for anyone that might have cracked their iPhone 13 screen already and didn't want to put a case on it. People put a case, put a screen yeah.
3: protector on your device. Do not do not live naked like out there yeah. with your phone. You're just asking for trouble there. I want yeah. to briefly mention a couple of things. Um, iRobot is launching mm-hmm. a better Alexa skill for Roombas. So, oh yeah, um, go check out my article on that. I talked with the CEO, Colin Angle. They say it's one of the most complex Alexa skills ever made. So you'll be able mm. to tell an iRobot Roomba or the Bravajet mop uh, to vacuum around my dining room table, like specific places. Oh. And you could talk to them naturally, like say, "Hey, every every Sunday afternoon, clean the whole house, and then do a mopping." And then those sorts of commands are a little less robotic (laughs) than Mm -hmm, uh, the mm -hmm. way the skill used to work. And uh, I I think gives people a lot more flexibility in terms of how they control these devices. So I have not tested this feature yet. They launched it this week. Um, But I do have that. uh, I have the poop detecting Roomba (laughs) to test out the J7 plus. So I'll be doing some of that. I'll be doing a deeper look at their software in a bit. Um, But if you're an existing Roomba, uh, Roomba or Brava Jet owner, it's uh, I think this is a pretty good thing. Get that Alexa skill going if you have an Alexa. It is um, it's super useful to command your robot with your voice.
0: Nice. Um,
3: in other news, too, Unity announced that it's buying Peter Jackson's Weta Digital to help ah. prepare for the Metaverse. Um, and specifically, they're buying like the tech that Weta has been working on and a lot of their software. The actual like VFX crew are going to be another company they're going to be they're just going to be a company known as Weta fx and peter jackson the director of lord of the rings will uh will still have majority share in that one so it is interesting it's an interesting move by unity to really um double down on the metaverse you know unity makes 3d engines and uh, a lot of tools for creating virtual worlds i'm sure weta has a lot of tools too to like make those virtual worlds look better. Um, yeah. Things like hair tech, hair algorithms and whatnot. Yeah. Um. So it is kind of a big push in that respect. Um, I don't know if it's going to lead to anything. We also don't know <laughs> what the metaverse will actually be, but you know what? Stay tuned to the interview at the end of this episode, and maybe you'll have a better sense of what it is. Briefly too, I just wanted to shout out uh, Disney plus announced this week that they'll be watching uh, they'll be launching a larger IMAX format for Shang Chi and 12 other Marvel films, nice. and this is pretty cool because uh, yeah, if you've been watching Marvel movies and MCU films at home, mm-hmm. you probably know this, You still have black bars at the top and bottom of your screen because yeah. these films are typically shot with a 2.35 to one aspect ratio, which is like it's called like anamorphic widescreen. It just makes movies look really wide in the theater. At home, it's a little scrunched. Um, so they're announcing uh, for films with IMAX segments. For those specific IMAX sequences, you'll get like the taller aspect ratio. It'll basically just fill more of your screen. It still won't take over your entire TV screen because the IMAX ratio isn't isn't quite all the way up. Uh, but still, it's more. If you're watching a, t- a movie at home and you want to like, you really want to enjoy the major Shang-Chi, uh action sequences, it'll take up more of your TV, which is kind of cool notable because I don't think any streaming company has really done this before. Um, this IMAX integration is a first uh, for Disney plus, uh, but it certainly for HBO and every other company and iTunes too, like they probably need to start thinking about ways to get these expanding aspect ratios going uh, because mm-hmm. for some films it makes a it makes a pretty big difference. Up until now you had to like buy the Blu-ray, for The Dark Knight or Tenet or something to get yeah. those bigger aspect ratios. So, nice change there by Disney. Well, let's move on to our pop culture picks for the week. Sherlyn, I know you've got you were excited to talk to me about some stuff. So, what's up?
2: I I feel like you're going to hate me for this, but I feel like this is something you might I'm like. So, uh-huh. over my break um which was good. Thank you for everyone for asking. <laughs> um <laughs> I did not want to come back. Still hating being back at work. Um but I saw this sort of documentary no it's just anyway it's this show called attack of the hollywood cliches uh wow, wow.
3: Okay. i think
2: you would freaking love it I mean, but, I know okay, all well, the
3: cliches, but okay, what's up? You know
2: all the cliches. I <laughs> just like found it informative. It was, it's hosted by Rob Lowe, of who course. is self-aware, walking cliche, and <laughs> yeah. a what? Yes, and also like you know points out a lot of things during the thing where he's like, "Oh me, a cisgendered white male does this," and like it's a, it's almost a very tongue-in-cheek. It's a very tongue-in-cheek look actually at all of these Hollywood cliches, starting from. Like, oh, the meat cute or like oh um why does a car chase always have to involve this and that or the you know, the scenes where people fight on top of trains with their bare fists and then they always duck with the thing coming in or it's just like a lot of a lot, a lot of Hollywood cliches stuffed into what like
3: Is this the, this it's show sounds like, don't you hate it when movies yeah, do this but, thing? but
2: yes. So they point oh, out, and they point out agree. great examples of it, but then mm-hmm. they also sort of go into the history of it, which is really cool for me, That's because cool. I don't know a lot of the history. Um, for example, I didn't know about that, like, I forget the name now, The the something scream, where like... It's an, it's a lot scream. of like film. Yep. In, yeah, exactly. The vil, William or William or whatever they were Wilhelm, pronouncing it yeah. as. Wilhelm? Yeah, that screen, mm-hmm. scream. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of these like inside jokes like it, that it appeared in things like Star Wars. It even appears yep. in a lot of like Tarantino films or something. Um, so it's informative, but also fun. Uh, I wish it had more time to go into things a little deeper sometimes. It kind of uh-huh. just skims uh-huh. through a lot of things. but. I mean, it was fun. Like, l- l- it's not like the best thing ever to be made, uh, documentary-wise. But it's it's a fun way where, of getting where to know Where can you somebody. find this thing, by the way? It's on Netflix. Um, so that I think is something that, like, you know, helps me get to know your 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 hobby a little bit better, uh, Devendra. Like your your uh, okay. passion for film. Help My me passion for film is uh
3: yeah. is studying cliches. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's come on, this is come on. Not just the cliches, but you you know. Knowing when I can, hey, I can point to something as good. a cliche. Yeah, exactly. You should
3: know what the Wilhelm scream is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Cool. Okay, I'm going to bring up two animated shows, which weirdly, in the past couple of weeks, two of the best animated shows of the last like few years premiered at uh-huh. the same time. So that's specifically Star Trek Prodigy, which is the – I don't know. There's so many Star Trek shows on, uh, on, on Paramount now. But uh, this is the – second animated one and like the fourth or fifth one like in general to launch on that channel it is like a kid focused youth focused uh show about a group of teenagers who are basically like prisoners on this like uh i don't know weird prison planet or something who find a starship and steal it and basically start to like uh start to discover like basically freedom like how to live a life away from tyranny um this show is really good like, this is not just a silly um, uh kids' adventure or something. Like, it has a really cool villain, uh, voiced by John Noble, by the way. And you know how much oh. we love John Noble over here. Oh, yes. John Noble from Fringe. Um, <laughs> yes. When John Noble does his evil voice. uh yes. So he goes okay. kind of like Darth Vader mode in the show. Uh, it's good. It's good. It's a little scary. But I've been watching this show with um, – My daughter, Sophia, this is like her first big introduction to Star Trek, and uh, I'm not the biggest Trekkie. I like some of these shows just fine, but she is really into this. She likes the kids. The characters are good. The voice acting is good. The animation looks really cool, too, and like... There's just cool stuff happening, like big action sequences. It's really exciting. It's well animated. I think it's worth checking out if you're a Star Trek fan, um, or if you're just looking for like some good kids uh, TV programming. Uh, you know, th- this is one worth checking out. And Star Trek fans will appreciate the fact that Kate Mulgrew also comes back. J- Captain Janeway mm-hmm. is here as a hologram. So there's a lot of like stuff going on here to really like appease the fans. it's also really good, and it is. It's like a hundred times the show that Picard was, <laughs> um, and P- P- Picard was the show that was like, oh man, you're bringing Patrick Stewart back. You have some major authors writing. That show is a goddamn mess. Um, mm-hmm. This show's focused, has great characters, and like it's just really cool and fun. So mm. worth checking out. That's okay. Star Trek Prodigy on Paramount Plus. I also want to – oh, by the way, Star Trek Prodigy, uh, Chris Nottis and Gadget is writing about the show. So she has written all about like why she likes it so much and she thinks it's so good. So go check out her stuff there. I also want to talk about Arcane, which is the new yes, show that just on launched Netflix. So on excited. Netflix. Yeah, yes. It is the League of Legends show. Yes, yes. And- I will be the first one to tell you I don't I don't care I don't give an f about League of Legends but Do this you play show League?
2: okay no I don't
3: play League I don't play League I play I play I real that, games
2: show oh League. shit okay. okay all right yeah all I right. don't know uh,
3: I don't I don't really care about leagues um but maybe if you know more about the universe you'd be more into that yeah what this yeah. is is a really cool show with great characters again like kind of kid focused but it is more mature at times like this is more. If Star Trek: Prodigy is like it's Y seven, uh, so maybe more aimed at uh, you know uh, uh, younger kids. Arcane is TV fourteen, so it's more like aimed at teenagers and adolescents, and it it focuses on two sisters who are growing up in like the you know the poor um, land level mm-hmm. district of this particular city. Mm-hmm. Um, they are constantly battling with the people at the top, the the mm-hmm. rich society. This show is just really good. Like it looks, um, the animation style is a very cool, like CG fluid animation. Uh, The voice acting is really good. The writing is solid. Um, I don't care about leaks, but I it has really pulled me into this world because it's like it's just a setting. It's just a setting for a science fiction story, and I am totally down with that. Yeah, it
2: will definitely make the game feel more like for me. Like I'll, I'll have new favorite you know, characters to play with. Right. Because for me, I just keep playing Ash or like Jinx or whoever, but, um, I had to write up the trailer for, for this show when it was first dropped as I was on my new shift or, or, something. And like, I was like, Oh, okay. The trailer looks interesting, but I didn't know if I had faith in the like story writing. But now that you're saying that it's good, right. I'm like, okay, I'll check it's it good out. It's good writing. I'm it's good
3: writing. It's, it's sort of like if Star Trek prodigy is very much like Avatar, the last airbender, mm-hmm. this show is very much like the legend of Korra, like a more mature, mm-hmm. uh, look at some you know major themes of classism mm-hmm. and um mm. racism and a lot of things like happening in this mm. uh in this world but also the core characters are really really good and uh mm. i do i do appreciate any animated show that brings in like shora agdashlu from the expanse because when her mm. voice just appears on screen I'm like okay i'm paying attention again uh the show's really good and if you're a League fan you'll probably you know, you'll, you'll probably dig yeah. it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to throw shame to MOBAs here. It's just that maybe I'm bitter because MOBAs <laughs> uh, destroyed the world. Like, it destroyed games like Warcraft. You know, like the uh, older strategy games yeah, because yeah. everybody just wanted to do goddamn hero fighters. Um, yeah. But anyway, my feelings from League of, about <laughs> League of Legends aside, uh, yeah. I think this show is really good. So check it out. It is definitely one of the best things to ever have premiered on Netflix.
2: Well, that's it for the episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at...
3: At Davindra on Twitter. And I talk about movies and TV at the thefilmcast at thefilmcast.com. And don't forget to stay tuned for our interview with Ethan Zuckerman after this episode.
2: If you want to tell me of some cool gift ideas for kids i guess i'm (laughs) at shirlin Lowe on twitter email us your thoughts at podcast gadget.com leave us a review please on itunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts including spotify
3: Now let's move on to our conversation with Ethan Zuckerman. He's an associate professor of public policy, communication, and information at UMass Amherst. And uh, you may recognize his name. He did this great piece over at The Atlantic called, Hey, Facebook, I Made a Metaverse 27 Years Ago, where he talks about how he tried to make a metaverse over at Tripod uh, in the mid-90s. He's a renowned academic. He also did a TED Talk about 11 years ago called How to Listen to Global Voices, so I'd recommend checking that out. But in this conversation, we talk about the metaverse and Facebook slash Meta's ambition and what Mark Zuckerberg is actually trying to build. And I think it's worth taking a listen to. Uh, Ethan makes a lot of great points about where social media is going and why we may need to have some, like, you know, local, homegrown, organic social media moving forward. Ethan Zuckerman, thank you so much for joining us on the Engadget podcast. Can you just tell us, you know, what do you what do? You, do? Who, you know, what is your role right now?
1: So I have a ludicrous title, which I apologize <laughs> for. I am Associate I Professor of Public Policy, Information, and Communication, which is basically just a way of saying that I have three different faculty meetings to go to. Oh, man. Um, okay. But basically, I teach about technology and society at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And I am working on a couple of projects here on the future of the internet, which I'm hoping is an internet that is less funded by venture capital and more treated as a public good.
3: Excellent. I uh, I, I can fully agree with that. Um, and can't wait to read that too. I really want to chat with you, Ethan, after reading your Atlantic piece about building your own metaverse in the '90s, and that was a nice like jog through memory lane of, um, you know, I was a teenager at that point, but I remember the early, the mid nineties internet was such a formative experience for me. And uh, right now all this metaverse talk kind of feels like we're there again. You know, Facebook is trying to build its own thing. Uh, Microsoft, Google are all using metaverse as a buzzword term. It feels like, you know, Facebook is basically building its own AOL, which could be a gateway to a greater metaverse. But it sounds also like your experience back then in the 90s um, made you think like that. That is probably not going to happen. So first of all, I just want to say, what is your idea? What is the metaverse to you? And what is like your the main sticking point for you at this point?
1: So as soon as we start talking about metaverse, there there are just so many fun layers. And it's yes. it's interesting to kind of think about what's the first one to peel away. I think for me, a metaverse is an immersive space. Doesn't necessarily have to be in goggles. It can be through a web browser. But it is a space that feels like a three-dimensional world in which we interact, we build relationships, we probably transact, and it has the notion of being a primary interface for us in one fashion or another. The metaverse is never sort of posited as, hey, let's go over to the metaverse and have some kicks, right? right it's always right. posited as this is the next generation of the internet. This is the new space that we end up interacting with. It is canonically descended from Neil Stevenson and from Snow Crash this very particular dystopian fiction uh, from 1992 and then it's been implemented dozens of times by, Virtually everybody who was an interesting creative coder in the 1990s. So, um, you know, as you well know, like no one gets to choose their headlines in uh, a magazine like The Atlantic. You know, my my brag was not uh, I created a a metaverse 27 years ago. That that, that's the headline writer. Uh My point was was actually more that we all created metaverses, and they're surprisingly hard to make them so that they are not lame. And near as I can tell, um, many of the ways in which our metaverses were lame seem to be ways in which Zuckerberg is imagining the metaverse. Um, So what is the metaverse for Facebook, now meta? Now, that's a totally different question. Um, I think for Zuckerberg the metaverse is his way out of the trap that he's in and he's in two traps the <laughs> yeah. first one is and, and believe it or not neither of them have to do with congress right that's actually like the least of his problems right now problem one is that um facebook isn't cool anymore hasn't been cool for quite some time um it's aging That makes him hard. It makes it hard for Zuckerberg to recruit technical talent, which for him is sort of the way he keeps score. If I can recruit the hot engineers, I am still hot and exciting. Um, So the metaverse, at least, is new. It's different. It's hot. And then the second thing is he has realized that companies like Apple have veto power over his ambitions. So the moment at which Apple said, we're going to invite our users to opt out of Facebook surveillance, that was a terrifying moment for Zuckerberg. And what he has realized is that the sort of control that he wants requires ownership of the whole experience from the hardware all the way through to the products that are being sold on it. Yeah. So the, the Apple so the solution
3: kind of to computing, I guess.
1: Exactly right. So Apple in many ways is is often a pleasure to use because they own everything from the hardware to the operating system to often the software itself. And they even own the App Store to decide what gets to run on the platform. And they can decide, this is not going to run because we don't like the way that it's going to affect the experience. And Zuckerberg's response to that is, wait, that's a veto power over innovation. I can't let that happen. And therefore, I'm going to build it myself. And it's a credible case, right? Oculus is a fine piece of hardware. It's a really thoughtful product. Um it's got a, a decent enough operating system and development kit that people could sort of build on top of it. And now what he's talking about is building the app store, building the presence, building all those sorts of social layers that on the one hand, you would expect a Facebook to be very good at. But on the other hand, we've just watched Facebook for the last five years sort of stumble again and again and again when it comes to actual human beings interacting with one another
3: for sure and also like their approach to innovation i think for the last decade has really been either by the hot new thing so like by instagram he started the whole startup unicorn trend and i was covering startups at that point too so that was a wild thing from going to talking about you know talking to the instagram co-founders as just a couple of guys and now they're founders of a billion dollar company. Um, But it's either that or copying and they just copied Snapchat outright. Do you think um, do you think this is like, I guess, more of a proactive measure from Facebook? Like they bought Oculus. So they're they're getting all that innovation immediately. But they're also pouring a ton of money into this, too, from what I've seen, Uh, getting the Oculus Quest 2 out as a consumer product for $299 is kind of huge um, in terms of like bringing this stuff to the masses. Um, do you think Facebook is at least trying more on the the aspect of making the metaverse possible compared to like, you know, being a player in image sharing or something? It seems like they're trying more than they did in the past decade at least.
1: I I think there's no question that they'll yeah. do both, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, once you become a company the size of Facebook, exit via Facebook is a path for, you know, any sort of companies in the space, right? So anyone who's doing anything VR AR immersive in one fashion or another is making that decision can they be big enough to go it on their own can they do the things that you would need to do to be a successful public company or do they need to figure out how a Facebook acquisition is the end of the road for them right so that's one of the first things that Facebook has done it has basically announced if you are doing meaningful work in this space we will acquire you mm-hmm. um and and that's a non Trivial and useful thing to do, and that's the Microsoft um, model
3: too. It's like Facebook is applying all these old, old tech models to like building its future. Yeah, a, a,
1: building through acquisition is a, is a time honored um, trend. We also know that um, it often leads people to sort of shut stuff down. It often leads uh, beloved products to be orphaned in one fashion or another. It's it's certainly not. Um, Always a good experience for all involved. You can watch what's happened with somebody like WhatsApp, where the founders of that platform, um, you know, I'm sure they're crying all the way to the bank, but they're no longer involved with Facebook because their core values of that platform no longer ended up being um, respected. I think part of why Facebook has to build the metaverse is that some of the layers of the project are probably not easily Purchased, right? So, right. Um, one of the things that Zuckerberg is is amazingly straightforward about is he really wants you to be able to take the outfit you bought in Fortnite and to wear it into a chat on another sure, platform,
3: sure, yeah.
1: And that sort of object export, object permanence, um, the sort of social spaces—I don't know that anyone's going to build that immediately. Or if they are, they're sort of coming out of the digital currency, NFT space, which is, of course, a space filled with an enormous amount of smoke and mirrors and grift. And so trying to figure out how to build that yourself um, makes a good deal of sense to me. I do think Microsoft, uh, not Microsoft, I do think Meta will invest quite seriously in trying to build those sorts of middlewares trying to build a community operating system one fashion or another i think they're going to take the problems they're already having and magnify them by a factor of 10 to 100
3: absolutely i think the thing we've learned from zuckerberg certainly since the founding of facebook is that he loves to build but he doesn't love to think about the impact of his tech and the things he builds um uh looking at what facebook is trying to build now this idea of like i don't know the the metaverse is like a virtual playground um it does feel to me like he they're just doing AOL they're doing the consumer friendly siphoned off portion of the internet because i talked with him before um before the facebook connect event um a couple weeks ago and he was very clear that facebook he doesn't want facebook to own the metaverse as in like he doesn't want to just be a thing that facebook is only creating because i think he knows if microsoft and google and others can't build into it as well if it can't be as free as the current internet it's also kind of maybe kind of like doa um yeah i don't know how how do you do you believe that they they want to own a piece but not like not like just be the one that's creating this thing on their own i don't know how interoperable sure so so
1: so again reading between the lines right when i 48 minutes into his video zuckerberg gets real with us he gets serious Um, this has been a humbling experience. He's not humbled by the fact that Facebook has assisted with genocide in Myanmar. He's not humbled by the fact that, um, uh, girls are starving themselves on Instagram. He's humbled by the fact that Apple had veto power uh, over something he wanted to do and never again. And part of the never again is Apple's extortionate 30% tax on the app store. And I think that's a way of Zuckerberg essentially saying, eh, "How about 22? twenty two? Twenty two sounds right." Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's going to grab some number short of thirty and use that as the platform cut in creating um, a- an ecosystem that goes from the hardware device um, down to the object level. And again, you know, not a bad business model. Yep. Um, we know that. The App Store model has some real benefits. It has the ability of, of controlling certain aspects of problematic speech, right? Um, it is unlikely that Zuckerberg's metaverse is going to have sex in it. Um, you know, so far, his platforms have been um, incredibly prudish and, and puritanical. Um, maybe there will be one under a different brand, but but the main metaverse uh, does not seem like a sexy space. It seems like a, a, a game space and a family space. By controlling the app store and sort of deciding what can go within it, you have the ability of sort of having that oversight on content. The trick is metaverses are only interesting if they're generative, right? So... You want someone to be able to sell the make your own fireworks display and have that fireworks display at the end of it say, happy birthday to Vindra, right? But you also want to make sure that that fireworks display doesn't say burn the Jews. And it's really hard to build sort of an ecosystem where third party developers can come in and create generative tools and then prevent bad uses of them. You can create non-generative tools. You can make it so that we can all wear our signature versions of Mark's black t-shirt. But as soon as that t-shirt can be customizable with your own blinking slogans on it, then you start ending up in the the content moderation hell that Facebook currently finds itself within.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think you know, coming off of an idea that you were mentioning, for I think your upcoming book, I I do wonder, like, will we ever see a, a sort of like decentralized metaverse down the line? For because for me, what was really exciting about the internet in the '90s on my like little 486 Packard Bell was that I could jump into this place where. Anything was possible. There weren't really rules. It was it was broken. There was anarchy. But there was like a, a spark of inspiration and innovation there. Um, do you think that's something we could kind of replicate? Because to get there, we needed government funding. You know, we needed government agencies to build ARPANET and everything, get us there. But now we're we're seeing a metaverse that's mainly being built by corporate interests. And I don't know how they're going to play together. I don't know if we'll ever have that freedom again um, for whatever our future meta- metaverse will be.
1: So I love that you've just committed me to a new book. Um yeah. <laughs> I I, uh, I I I will look forward to writing this new one. I, I think yeah. it probably will be about this question of moving small rather than moving big. Um so so let's go back in, in history a little bit. Um I was involved with the startup of a company called Tripod. Tripod Is more or less forgotten now, but it was basically the lead competitor to GeoCities. GeoCities did web page hosting, and it was one of the first early killer apps on the 90s internet. Um, We were founded uh, in Williamstown, Massachusetts, uh, the home of Williams College, and one of the more famous alums of Williams College is Steve Case of AOL. Huh, okay, And Steve was well aware of us and met with us several times, and uh, we went far down the path of getting purchased by AOL. And AOL ultimately decided, you know what, we're so big, we can just crush these guys, it's completely unnecessary. And of course, what was very interesting was that AOL actually really never figured out how to make that generative leap. Onto the consumer internet. They they were quite good um, In the walled garden space, but the consumer internet was never a space that they could fully compete in So I wonder if we're actually seeing something a little bit similar here Facebook needs to create a walled garden To retain its relevance to retain its cool and to have a new set of business models at the same time we are having a real counter-reaction to these closed platforms. People are very suspicious of a universe in which Facebook or Twitter or Google or anybody is trying to meet everybody's needs with billions of users on the same system. So I'm an academic here pretty far from Silicon Valley, and my focus is on really frickin' small systems. I am interested in building communities for between 50 and 5,000 people. And I'm interested in building communities that people are not using for every purpose. They're using it for something very specific. They're using it to have a town meeting about the local park, they're using it as the gathering space for their church, they're using it as a support group for type 1 diabetes. And rather than having the moderation handed off to poorly paid people in the Philippines working for three-ring notebooks, they're actually doing their own moderation and their own governance. And I am a fairly big believer that this is a better way to build networks. I am also a big believer that as soon as you try to make money off of it at scale, you probably break what's interesting about it. And so that means you've got to start asking questions like, I don't know, should we have public social networks the same way we have public television? And my argument is, yeah, we really should. Many of these problems about ungovernable algorithms, uh, unassailable tech powers come from this combination of the incredible scale that these platforms have achieved and the business model, the venture business models that require that sort of scale. So my big thought is we need a wave of innovation. It needs to be small. It needs to be civically minded. And it needs to be open to the notion that maybe we're not going to be billionaires, but we're actually going to build something pretty great. I think a metaverse built along those principles or metaverses could be super cool. I think it would have some of the quirky, weird web that a lot of us miss from the 90s what we are seeing to a large degree is the sort of homogeneity that comes about when you're trying to build something to work for a billion users. Um, And I think it was a a false turn. I think it made perfect sense in business terms. I think maybe it made sense to advertisers. But I think for those of us who use and love these spaces, trying to figure out how we get small and trying to figure out different ways to make it work economically is, is perhaps the most exciting thing we can do
3: hmm it's almost like you're per, you're promoting the idea of like you know local organic social networks or metaverses like i i've i've experienced a couple actually over the past year like sundance um did a big one called new frontiers uh for the last sundance film festival and it was a vr experience i could go in and i could see all my you know movie reviewer friends from new york i could walk around and talk with them but they could join it from their uh computers as well like it was a great little experience. I do wonder if we'll see more things like that. And um, alternatively, like I, I could see those things going bad too. Uh, South by did one, and it felt like an, a, basically a lonely hellscape because nobody was there. It was just this thing they built, and they didn't really think about how you would exist within it. So we're still exploring.
1: It's an incredibly challenging balancing act, right? Um, people can smell an abandoned space from miles away and um their death right like it's like having dying plants in your office like it it it's simply it, the smell of death is on everything um but i think understanding that there have been highly successful small scale communities and that we can actually learn some lessons from them and lean into them um is a great new direction Um, So I I often try to learn from Front Porch Forum, which is this kind of crazy alternative to all of these different neighborhood mailing list services, which all seem to degenerate into, (laughs) oh, no, a black guy just ran through my neighborhood. Let's go arrest him. Um, Front Porch Forum is very heavily moderated. Um, It comes out once a day. Um, So it's slow, right? It has time to let people think. People will sometimes say things and then retract it. Um, It has time for moderators to have the conversation with people who are posting to it. Um, And it works. It's worked incredibly well. Um, And the founder behind it, Michael Wood Lewis, has actually resisted the temptation to take it nationwide because he wants it to be sort of locally organized and locally governed. Um, He is not phenomenally wealthy. Uh, It is not making him money hand over fist, but he decided he wanted to build it somewhat differently. I think for me, what's been so frustrating about this particular moment in time, it is so much easier to build new stuff than it was when I was coming up 20, 25 years ago. Um, The tools are just so much better. The fact that you don't have to build your own server farm, you can go put it on an Amazon, all of those things should be giving us this sort of wave of creativity. Where we are seeing people willing to experiment are in very, very limited spaces. There are very clever people trying to do things with crypto and NFTs. But the problem there is that much of it is grift and it's very hard to figure out the exciting stuff within the sea of grift. In spaces like small social networking, People are simply terrified. If they come up with anything interesting, what prevents Facebook or Twitter from simply copying it and going forward? And the answer is we we need some different way of thinking about this. We need some way of thinking about how do we actually get diversity in these ecosystems rather than having everything descend to homogeneity, which seems to be what, what really the lesson of the last 10 years of the internet has been.
3: Absolutely. And, um, you know, we're going to be running out of time soon, but I do have to ask you, uh, a lot of people are making predictions about what the next stage of the internet is going to look like. Um, Zuckerberg is basically pitching the metaverse as like the next version of the mobile web. I think rewind to 2005, 2006, I was still steeped into technology, but nobody knew the impact the iPhone would have, how that would reshape our lives and how like smartphones would end up dominating everything I, you know, I had a, what was it? a uh, I had like one of those, uh, similar to like a T-Mobile sidekick phone. I had a feature phone. Things work to a certain degree, but the iPhone and smartphones in general were such a great leap. Do you think we're going to see another one of those? Because I don't know if everybody's going to want to wear AR glasses and those seem like they're going to be very expensive as well. Even like once the technology kind of comes down a bit, I don't know if we're going to have another one of those like foundational shifts, uh, which is kind of what, Facebook's metaverse is kind of relying on too. What do you see going ahead for the next 10 years?
1: So so let me suggest a different way of looking at sure. it, right? Which is, it's really easy to end up in technological determinism, right? So we get something as cool as the iPhone. And at that point, mobile is inevitable. And that's where we're going to be. And a lot of consequences come with it. Yeah, Mobile is a less generative platform. You're less likely to write code on it um and it's harder to put things in the ecosystem because it works on an app store model on the other hand lightweight content creation tiktok tiktok doesn't happen you know without the mobile phone it doesn't yeah. happen without sort of a paradigm shift around it but here's the other way to think about it we can decide we can have some control over our tech um google glass came out and people said we really don't like this. A lot of the uses for this are really creepy and um, we're going to make fun of this. And, and that product basically got ridiculed out of existence, right? There was an enormous amount of investment in making it technologically deterministically the next thing. And people's response was no to hell with that. Actually, that's not going to be what we want out of this. Yeah. We have the same choice with the metaverse. Um, you know we can choose to say that walking around all day with a screen strapped to your face is a stupid thing to do and maybe we will um there's been quite a bit of of counter reaction to this what i'm curious about is whether we can get beyond sort of counter power whether we can get beyond sort of saying no thank you google glass no thank you metaverse and sort of saying small democratically governed, community driven, right? What I sort of pitch people on what I would like to see, their reaction is usually yeah, that would be nice, but that would never happen. And and so what I'm really curious about is, the, is that that would never happen. Like, what is it that we would have to do to make a desirable view of the world actually occur? I think most people desire a world in which they have some control and authority over the spaces that they participate in. I think most people would appreciate being involved with the governance of the conversations that they're subject to. And I think a lot of people would enjoy, um, you know, less McDonald's and and more local restaurants. Um, And I think those things are possible, but I think we'd actually have to have a movement. I think we'd actually have to have people coming together and jointly trying to build those things um, to, to have it happen in any meaningful way. So I I don't see the $300 headset as inevitable. I think it happens, and then I think we actually have to consciously make the choice, is that the future that we all want to bet on and take part in, um, and Facebook doesn't get that choice, we get that choice.
3: hmm that's a, that's a good way of putting it. I, I kind of hope we start making those choices. I don't know. I look at the rise of like the consumer drone industry, and I'm like, guys, you know where this tech came from. This is not just fun fun times for cameras. This is These are military weapons that have been bombing people um, across the world, uh, but drones have been super successful. The the things that worry me, um, I did take a look at Facebook's Ray-Ban glasses, the one with the cameras. Um, again, an idea stolen from snapchat basically in their spectacles but what was so i think terrifying about them is that they looked completely normal right they weren't big they weren't clunky they didn't stick out like google glass they looked like ray-ban glasses you couldn't really tell there were cameras on them they have a little light but everybody was pointing out yeah you could just cover that it's no big deal to me that that sort of like sly way of getting us connected and maybe more embedded in their their universe is kind of what's scaring me about the Whatever the metaverse will end up being, I don't know if you have any any thoughts on that. It just seems like these companies know what we want, and instead of pushing something like Google Glass, they wanna they wanna make the thing that'll tie us more into their ecosystems that people are actually asking for. So,
1: yeah, I, I look. I I spent nine years at MIT. Um, much of the mobile computing revolution came out of a lab down the hall yep. from me, mm-hmm. and. Those guys, and believe me, it was mostly guys, were wearing full computers all the time, and sort of letting people know, "Won't it be amazing when you're never disconnected from the internet and yep. you can find information all the time, and so on and so forth?" Yep. And the answer is, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, and and you know, once you put it into a form factor where you didn't look like uh, a being from another planet. But actually, you looked like someone who had a cool, sexy device. Um, then it became viable, and and maybe that's the answer. Maybe those Ray Bands are so attractive that you're wearing them in AR mode much of the time, and then you're moving into full virtual, and you're you know in the metaverse while on the subway. Um, could well be, um, and and it could be that simply making them cool and sleek and beautiful is enough for them to get traction. What I am saying, though, is we tend to treat technology like it is an implacable force that has a will of its own, right? Kevin Kelly has this book, What Technology Wants. And, yep. and you know, it's a very smart book. But, you know, there's an old Most deaf track where he talks <laughs> about um, – people you know asking where hip hop is going you know what hip hop's going to do and def responds and says you are hip hop i am hip hop you know ask yourself where you're going and and that's really what i want us to do with tech like you are tech and i am tech and if we don't like the future in which we're all on the metaverse on the subway um, we can make decisions about that and we can make decisions based on what we write and what we do and what we buy. And the first step in all of this is realizing that technology is not a force of nature. It is a force of capitalism and a force of humanity and it obeys some predictable rules and laws, um, but ensuring that, that we don't view any of this as inevitable and ensuring that we retain agency over it, that that's a, a big part of this equation.
3: That's a good reminder, especially for our readers, too, because we, you know, we write gadget reviews and we're always following the next of big course. thing. But it's good to remember that, yeah. The, a lot of this is human driven as well. Ethan Zuckerman, thank you so much for chatting with us on the Engadget podcast. Where can people find you online and any any recent work you want to promote?
1: Well, I Ethan com usually has whatever I'm working on. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Ethan Z on Twitter is probably the, uh, the easiest way to do it. If you're interested in some of these big questions about decentralization, um, try publicinfrastructure.org. That's where that argument is really sort of developing around this idea that um, maybe we need uh, public service broadcasting for social media. Um, check it out. Let me know what you think. And, uh, Devendra, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to, uh, to have this conversation with you.
3: Thank you so much and hope to chat again.
0: Kitty time. Yay.